Before we get started, After the Monuments is proud to receive support from VCU Massey Cancer Center. Massey Cancer Center wants you to imagine a future without cancer. All it takes is one, a revolutionary idea, a promising clinical trial, or a new breakthrough. See how Massey is developing new approaches to prevent and treat cancer for every person in every community. Learn more about this future for everyone at MasseyCancerCenter.org. Welcome I'm to Kelly Lennon. And I'm Michael Paul after Williams. And welcome to the Kelly After the Lennon Monuments podcast, where we look at events and news about race in a historical context. Know, I'm excited see about how this too often conversation. History repeats itself. We didn't even prep for this one, Michael Paul. We kind of just sat down. We started talking about stuff already. But thank you, Deron, for coming on the show with us today. Tell this audience who you are and what you do um, in this region. Well, uh... I am the executive Deron director. Chavis. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, I should say my name, right? I'm Deron Chavis. I'm the executive director of Happily Natural Day. It's a nonprofit that focuses on holistic health, wellness, social change, and transforming the built environment for food justice and climate resiliency. The shorthand mm-hmm. is we build urban gardens and farms across the Richmond region to increase access to healthy food and to build community power. At one point, did you call yourself a... a uh, it was a you had a tagline for you like but was it an urban farmer or urban act like you were yeah. or was it, or did you use hip hop like you used a dope I, word and I, I am I am an urban agriculturalist yeah that's that that's I'm, I'm using that language right now okay and, <laughs> and you say that because your primary focus is making sure that places within the inner city have access to not only just good food but just you can breathe you can yeah. you have the the whole wellness as yeah. part of it right? i try to spread it out i mean the work that we do is definitely about food but it's more uh about environmental stewardship right uh environmental justice right communities of color have been prohibited in many ways to have uh built environments that are thriving that are robust and resilient. And so the work that we do in terms of developing community green spaces addresses both the food piece as well as the need for biophilia or green inside of communities. So. And you didn't just jump into this. You've been doing this for a minute. Like, I got to Richmond <clears throat> in the 90s, and I feel like I met you, like, right <laughs> when I was at VCU. But, mm-hmm. like, you've been doing this work for oh, a minute. Yeah. How long you been in this game? Yeah, it's two decades. This yeah. is the 20th year that... We've been engaging in some form of community activism. It started at the Black History Museum. I was a little whippersnapper at the age of 21, 22. Give us, give us more of the backstory, because you got an interesting background. Yeah, yeah so uh, the, the story is, the origin story is... Uh, I it's was a hero a, origin story. Every, <laughs> the origin story is always more interesting. Yeah, I, I, I was literally a volunteer at the Black History Museum. Mm-hmm. You know, I would go there every weekend and help with, you know the gift shop or even the receptionist uh, position. And then I evolved in that space to giving tours to young people, old people, you know, students, uh, people taking their family vacations. I would give these lectures to folks about Jackson Ward and the history of the city of Richmond and just black stories, period. Because you're from here, right? I'm born and raised. Southside. Southside, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so uh, I begged those guys to give me a job. 
you know. I love that volunteerism so much, but I just couldn't afford to do it. Uh, so they, you know, <laughs> eventually caved in mm-hmm. and gave me a, a position uh, as museum coordinator. Mm. And, um, yeah, I worked that job. Uh, it was, it was, I consider it really my first real job. It's the first job that I really liked to do, right? Mm. And um, from there, uh, I started Happily Natural Day, the uh, museum. Uh, in 2003, it was around the time of the Brown versus the Board of Education uh, 50th year anniversary. And uh, they didn't have the funding that they usually would have to do this annual jazz concert. They would do it in the back uh, parking lot of the museum. And so uh, I asked them, I said, hey, I got this idea of uh, bringing an event that would kind of highlight uh, some of the subject matter that was addressed in the Brown <coughs> Brown versus the Board of Education case, you know, Kenneth Clark and the doll study was a big part of that mm-hmm. case, right? Mm-hmm. When the black children were looking mm-hmm. at these white dolls and were affirming them, but then uh, you know, denigrating the the black dolls. So we said, let's do this event, this festival that would highlight uh, the importance of black people affirming themselves, having pride in their ancestry and their uh, cultural identity. And um, yeah, that was when lightning struck. It was mm-hmm. like my life changed. That's when I got the superpowers. I mean, I, I really feel like um, it was the Happily Natural Day Festival that incubated me as a young man, took me all across the country, up and down the East Coast, meeting all types of black folks that have been doing community activism works for generations, yeah. elders as well as younger people, my peers, um, that were in Philly, Harlem, Chicago, D.C., Baltimore, Atlanta, Raleigh-Durham, and that incubator of, like, black healing, black activism, leadership, radical left tradition, like, that space nurtured my young manhood and evolved me into doing the work that I do now in urban farming. You know, I met, I met small farmers doing a festival, these uh, men uh, would be my de facto mentors, right? They'd be the guys that call me just to check on me and say, hey, what's going on? How you doing, young blood? And uh, one of them, uh, Renard Turner, I always give reverence to him, uh, with Vanguard Ranch out of Gordonsville, Virginia, he used to call me and ask me, you know, what would you do if the grocery stores closed? Mm. You know, mm. he's, yeah, I, I was not that alarmist. It was kind of a tough you know, question to ask a 24, 25-year-old, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And I used to, like, you know, ignore his calls sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that conversation evolved into us engaging in food and supporting black farmers, connecting their produce and wares to formerly redline neighborhoods. And that work mm. informed us developing community gardens, which then graduated to urban farms and now, you know, even land in rural areas that we're transforming to increase access to healthy food. And and not only healthy food, but just really like using land as a tool for building power yeah. for BIPOC communities. That's really where it's at right now. Now, so you make it sound so simple, yeah. but I'm a brother that, I, can you give me a seed? <laughs> I don't know what to do with it sometimes. <laughs> I am where they come to die. Yeah. Check. Okay. I mean, it's, right. it seemed, it always struck me as kind of a talent, you mm. know, the old green thumb thing. And, but you seem like you, you just well, kind of took to it. I mean, well, you know, I had a, I had a really wide runway to fail forward. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, when we started our first community garden in 2012, you know, this is what I just took as my pastime. I, after I get off of work or on the weekends, I go to the garden with my kids and we try stuff, you know. 
And I learned it's science. More than anything, you know, it's, 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 it's attention, mm-hmm. you know, consistently showing up in a space, you know, uh, paying attention to what's happening, um, you know, nurturing. Cultivating the soil is the act of care. Mm. You dig what I mean? And, you know, the plants really do all the work themselves. You're really just there to make sure they have everything that they need. And that's really been the key to success for me as a farmer or as a, as a gardener and just growing things is like understanding what the soil needs, understanding what the plants need, and that everything really starts with the soil. If you got, you know, good, rich, fertile soil, and there's a, there's a scientific process to building that up, you know what I mean, that you drop a seed in that and their genetic instructions built into, you know, that little, uh, that little morsel you know, we'll take everything and, and, and make it do what it need to do. So, yeah, I, 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 I'm a geek mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> at, you, the, but, at heart. You know what I mean? So know this what? is me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you mm-hmm. can say that. We all have our lanes. Mm-hmm. But one thing I I appreciate about you is that you you do make it dope, though. Like, you know, like, like you make it make me feel like, yeah, I'm going to get my hands dirty. <laughs> but, you know, somebody might be hitting the beat in the background. Right, you know what right, I'm saying? Right, right, and then right, I right. can take this and then make <laughs> something with it. Because, you know, like... Right. You 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 make it so that it's relatable and enjoyable, but at the same time, I'm learning, and yeah. that's that's my birthright. Yeah, yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah. doing. I'm a hip hop head. I was born in a city, you know, so I was young. I used to rap, you know. Um, so the music is the soundtrack to the work. I'm ex- I, I, I might be out at uh, one of the farms playing West Side Gun. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just to kind of hype it up and get the energy rolling. Um, but yeah, you know, I try to make this stuff layman terms for mm. folks. I mean, the core of it is like if someone else is determining what food you have available to you, then they are the ones that are in control of your life, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's more for me, it's about sovereignty and building agency and self-determination for our communities, but keeping that stuff eye level because, I mean, these are really big conversations that you know, deal with colonialism, mm-hmm. slavery, you know, oppressions that our communities have experienced for years, for, for uh, generations. But finding, for me, this is about finding a path where my intellectual curiosity and, you know, my need for exercise and outdoor time could marry making an impact in my community. Yeah. So being out in, the gar- out in the garden or at one of the farms is really, for me, it's personal. You know, this mm-hmm. is my own uh, path to healing, my own path for, you know, grieving. You know, my mother passed. I spent a lot of time in the garden processing that. But at the same time, it's holding space for young people, for elders, for people that want to get out into the uh, into nature and doing it in a way, man, you get fresh tomatoes, you know, you get some pot peppers, sorrel, you know, exploring those food ways, you know, the stories of, of black people and how we connect to food. Yeah. There's crops that came from Africa that we don't even know are part of our genetic yeah. legacy, right? But we can be growing those wide varieties. Something as simple as collard greens, right? There's like 90 varieties of collard greens, right? So we know kale got like a ton of different varieties. Lettuce got a ton of varieties. But how many of us are cooking collard greens every Thanksgiving and don't know that there's like 80, 90 different varieties and it's all different sizes, shapes, colors, tastes, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, 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 and that uh, diversity is something that we just, you know, we, we can appreciate that. And I, I, like to, I like to play in that world, you mm. know what I mean? I like, to, I like to lay around in it. 
Can you um, speak to, to me, what you're about is like a reconnection mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to something essential for us yeah. as a people. Yeah. Can you talk about the disconnection, um, mm. the black farmers mm. and the land ownership and how mm. they were separated from that land? Yeah, and yeah. The discriminatory policies of the government. And just yeah. So, you know, uh, we live in the city, so we talk a lot about redlining. Right, we talk about how black communities were uh, disadvantaged by not being able to get mortgages and loans from the FHA, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and the HOLC, and you know all those assessments that took place. I like to couch that, uh, answer that question. Uh, what was happening and in rural neighborhoods and rural communities at the time that the New Deal came about? Uh, the Farm Service Agency was birthed simultaneous to the farm uh, to the, the the Federal Housing Administration. So the same discrimination that was happening in urban areas was happening in rural areas. So there were a litany of programs that uh, would have helped mechanize farms, uh, help uh, fund uh, black farmers, even helping them with getting homes and things like that inside of their communities. But they were discriminated against as well. Right, mm-hmm. we hear yeah, we just passed Martin Luther King's birthday. Right, mm-hmm. we just did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you hear it is a speech that he gives. He talks about <coughs> we're coming to get our checks. He talks about how uh, black farmers uh, weren't able to get funding for uh, their farms. We were talking before the show started conservation easements. Mm-hmm. There was money that was allotted to farmers in rural areas not to farm, to conserve their land. And it was big money that was given out, right? Black people didn't get that money, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So on top of this federal USDA discrimination that was happening, you know, there was also paper terrorism where local localities and white folks in these rural areas were at City Hall messing around with the paperwork, you know, changing up people's uh, parcel map lines, you know, even at the point of people being on their deathbed, there were folks that were going to uh, the nursing homes and being like, okay, go ahead and sign this, signing away their uh, their land rights. Then there's even this thing called heir's property when, you know, uh, an elder would pass away. He might not have had a will, but had, like, say he had five, six kids. So the land will go to all five, six kids, and if one of those kids wanted to sell, they could force a sale and, you know, basically give the land away, you know, to, to, a, to a developer. Mm. So all of these strategies were used that pushed black people off of the land, you know, on top of the racial terrorism that was happening in the South. Um, so, yeah, those are some of the things that helped disconnect us. And then just uh, because of the system and the fact that there weren't funding available, there wasn't funding available for black folks in rural communities to farm in an efficient way, you know, the whole spirit of farming, it became tougher to be able to make a living as a farmer, you know? So people were like, yo, I'm not doing that. I'm going to the city. I'm gonna go give me a job as a doctor, as a lawyer, as an architect. And you know, that farm life, I got a better way of living my life. So cultural context mm. like was imposed upon by these racist systems mm-hmm. and these policies that also kind of pushed us away from the land. But I try to remind people that it wasn't the land that did this stuff to yes. us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It was the system that mm-hmm. we lived in that created the environment that made it more difficult for us to farm. So the work that we do today is about investing in the community infrastructure, 
developing the systems that make farming a, a, a viable vocation. Do you see young brothers wanting to pursue this? Yo, yeah. I mean, that's I'm 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 42. And I'm seeing younger people than me yeah. in their 20s that want to embrace the land and want to be a part of this agricultural revolution that's happening all across the country. I mean, there's urbanists, folks that are in cities that are transforming vacant lots, just like what we do here. It's happening all over the country. You and, know what I mean? And is it because the younger generation is scared about what you know, our earth, what our climate, what all these things that are ha- are they are they paying more attention than, than all the generations above? Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I like to not move in the spirit of fear. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's two ways that people are kind of typically coming to this space. Some people are really just excited about being outdoors and connecting with the land. Some people are approaching it from a social justice space and they really like want to be a part of a solution for for our communities to address like the health inequities that come from lack of access to healthy food. Uh, climate change is real, though. Like, don't get it twisted. Like, people are all over the country trying to reconcile with the fact that black and brown communities are disproportionately impacted by the change in climate, right? There's literal less land on coastlines mm-hmm. because of the way that, you know, sea levels are rising, mm-hmm. you know, all across the country. And then at the same time, just droughts, we're having hotter summers, colder winters, you know, there's all types of hurricanes and stuff like that. All that stuff is real. 70 degrees in February. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, yeah. <laughs> like 80, it's going to be 80. 80 yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I think people are approaching this like as using ag, regenerative ag, because I got to be specific on that. It's like all ag is not uh, made the same is not done the same, but there are folks that are approaching this ag work from a perspective that it can be a mitigator of climate change if we reevaluate how we're growing food and hyper localizing food and creating systems where you know there's more room for small farmers and less monopolies on terms of our food production and ways that you know large big corporations are growing food. So yeah. yeah. I love the fact that these young people are coming to the space and they want to grow it. Yeah. You know, they want to be they 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 might be into the marijuana. Mm-hmm. They might be into the indoor farming. They're engaging with the tech, you know, but the reality is is like mm. we have to create systems for these young people to come into the space and do this work in a way that they don't have to incur like a ton of debt. Right, in order because you know this is farming takes land. Mm-hmm. Like land is not cheap. It's not. And, and they ain't making no more. I don't know if anybody noticed that. Yeah, no, nah, it's definitely <laughs> like you know <laughs> a hot commodity, right? <laughs> so you know our work right now is like how do we do land acquisition to make room for this next generation of farmers as uh, this this uh, the older generation of farmers are starting to age out and you know retire. So, yeah. so in that dovetailing off that, mm-hmm. where does Richmond rate mm-hmm. as far as policy making well, um, when it comes to encouraging this work and facilitating this work compared to other cities in, 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 that okay. you know of? Okay, so, that, so Richmond is in a unique space because Richmond was one of the few cities and municipalities that instituted a policy that city land could be permitted by community members and turned into community green space, urban farms and community gardens. However, the city does have a way to go in terms of like really making land available for that work and then also investing 
in local food systems because it's not just about the growing of food. When we think food, we think grocery stores, you know, we think farmers markets. We also need to be thinking about, well, how does food move Mm -hmm. from the farm to, you know, the commercial kitchen or to the small mom and pop shop. So all of those pieces of infrastructure are still kind of lagging behind here in the city. But I feel like there's a new renewed energy uh, after COVID. You know, we saw that there was a lot of fragility inside of our food system. You know, there's a ton of food pantry giveaway programs that came out of that. And uh, there's more emphasis on where that food is being sourced, right? And so now, today, as versus maybe 10, 12 years ago, there's way more urban farmers and peri-urban farmers than there ever was before, right? Uh, The city has a role to play. Uh, in terms of investing in the infrastructure to make it viable for those farmers to really participate in the food system. Um, but I love to see what other counties are doing, too. Henrico just talked about doing this 20-acre community farm um, recently, and that's exciting because I feel like that kind of uh, model uh, will help evolve our food system, right? Mm-hmm. I think um, uh, the work that we're doing in Chesterfield, we have a, a neighborhood development that we're proposed or that we're actually unfolding called the Bensley Agrihood in collaboration with the Maggie Walker Community Land Trust Girls mm-hmm. for Change. We're building a neighborhood, like nine acres, mm. uh, 10 affordable homes uh, in the backyard. It'll be a community farm that serves as an amenity to the neighborhood. So that type of work is like avant-garde, mm-hmm. so to speak. You know, we're not seeing many uh, examples of that across the country. So Richmond is in a unique place. Still got a ways to go. But, um, yeah, it's, it's hopeful. I'm optimistic. All right. <laughs> That's what I want to hear. Yeah, uh, let's, let's, let's play off of that. This, this show is called After the Monuments, yeah. right? A real talk about race. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and one of the things we talk about is, like, the stuff that was happening, you know, before the monuments went up, right, right, right. while the monuments were up, and yeah. now that they have been taken down. You've never bitten your tongue about how you feel yeah, yeah, yeah. about stuff, and yeah, you yeah. you take the social media to yeah, say yeah. what you want to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, in regards to the death of George Floyd and the murder, excuse me, of George Floyd and what happened here in Richmond, yeah, yeah. you were very active in that. You yeah. were, you know, out on the scene, especially yeah, yeah. Um, at the Marcus David Peters Circle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tell us about, let's, let's take us back to that, how you felt about that how you felt like your role and what you do played in any of that? Yeah. Um, thank you. Uh, for sh- So I'll be frank. You know, I wasn't at Marcus Davis Peters Circle. You know, um, I sent raised beds mm-hmm. to that space. You know, some of our young people that wanted to be involved on the ground in that way uh, developed raised bed gardens that we uh, were distributing during as a COVID relief uh, program during that time. Um, I was critical, and I still am, that uh, there's one thing about protests. Uh, Protests are tools for mobilization of communities. Um, Oftentimes, uh, that mobilization does not transfer into organization. And I think that what we saw here in Richmond was reflective of many other cities, too, is that uh, that moment, that zeitgeist of everyone clamoring to, to, to raise and drop the monuments down didn't transform into a longitudinal black-led movement for uh, power transfer. Mm-hmm. 
and communities of color, yeah. right? Uh, in Richmond, we see that the movement essentially stalled out after the monuments were uh, brought down as if that was the goal, right? And I think that when we frame uh, movement work and movement building around something as superficial as statues, we are really doing a disservice to what our communities really need. Yeah. I'm a, I was born and raised in Richmond. You know, I grew up on Southside. There weren't any Confederate monuments on Southside, or at least to my knowledge. And to be frank, I probably didn't go down Monument Ave much. Mm -hmm. uh, so when the monuments came down, I I, I mean, as a as a as a as a feeling of of uh, have things shifted. I say, well, I mean, the same issues that we were fighting against before the monuments came down, we're fighting them still. Uh, so, I mean, I think it's great that these vestiges of the Confederacy are no longer standing, but I think that the invisible scars of what they represented are still permeating and still pulsating yeah. and still got, you know, ooze coming out of them. So how do we really get to the core and, like, heal these scars is really the work. So I challenge all of us, anybody that was out there, mm -hmm. like what does longitudinal black-led social justice movements look like in terms of transforming the built environment for community power? Thank you, Dora. Right. Thank you. Right. This is After the Monuments, Real Talk About Race, Michael Paul Williams, Kelly Lemon. We will see y'all next time. After the Monuments is a Virginia Video Network production and produced by Matt Pacilli, Michael Paul Williams, and me, Kelly Lemon. Technical direction and editing from Bill Barksdale. Executive production from Paul Farrell, Diane Salvatore, and Paige Mudd. Will Royer provides studio support. Our artwork is by Krishna Mathis. I'm Kelly Lemon, and we'll see you next week on After the Monuments. Huge thanks to Massey Cancer Center for being our After the Monuments sponsor.